Welcome to Rewilding Work. I'm Paul Miller. In the post-pandemic world, work itself needs to evolve, be reimagined. But what does that look like in practice? Who's getting it right? And what can we each learn that we can apply in our own workplaces? Rewilding Work captures stories and examples of how senior leaders and changemakers are transforming and evolving the world of work across their own organisations. And today we have another fantastic session, this time with Carly Scott Murphy from Microsoft in Australia. Carly is a global black belt in employee experience, and we recorded Carly at Nature of Work Live, a three-day online event in 2021. There was one thing Carly said that's really stayed with me, because I think it reveals a deeper truth about work and finding our own home in work. Now, the great resignation where lots more people than normal have been changing from one job to another has been around during and after the pandemic. But Carly reveals the flip side of this. When we leave one place of work for another and find a more suitable work environment and experience, that really makes an impact on us. Carly says she's found her home in Microsoft. And so long as the projects and culture there continue to evolve as they have, particularly under the current CEO, Satya Nadella, she would like to spend the rest of her career there. Wow. Not a great resignation, but a migration to where we want to be. In fact, inside DWG, we have similar statements because when we find our place, why would we want to leave? Do subscribe and like right here so you get alerted about each new episode. Now, let's hear from Carly. Hello, everybody. My name is Carly Scott Murphy, and I am dialing in from my house here in Melbourne. I'm of Australian heritage, wearing a red top and my trademark red lipstick. I have shoulder-length brown hair and wearing green room glasses. I use the pronouns she and her. I also want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I'm joining you from today, and that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation here in Victoria, Australia. I want to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and thank them for the custodianship of the fabulous place I call home. I started my HR, uh, my career in HR, right, before pivoting to HR tech, which has been super interesting and has connected me to a lot of people over the years. My role here at Microsoft is as a global specialist for the employee experience. My role encompasses a lot of things from working with our engineering team who build our employee experience products, helping out our employees to leverage our tools and to improve their experiences, talking with Microsoft customers, big and small, about their challenges. And some, something I really love doing most is sharing the stories like I'm doing today. I love the idea for this conference, that we can learn so much from nature. Before I dive into my session, I just wanted to share a personal thought on the very first of the 12 elements today and how I think it's so appropriate that this is number one on the list. Many of you listening will know the Microsoft of old before um, Satya Nadella started as our third ever CEO. A lot has changed over this time and there has been an amazing team that sits behind all of this great work that's been done uh, to get us where we are today. 
But I wanted to share right now the impact that purpose has had on my experience as an employee. This is the first company in my whole career that I've actually said to myself, I want to be here for the rest of my career. For me, I believe this has all come down to purpose and that purpose here at Microsoft and how our CEO lives and breathes this purpose and mission. As the nature of workbook speaks to purpose, a machine can execute on its remit without ever needing to have any deeper purpose than the production of service X or product Y. And I've definitely felt like that in other organisations. But nature's interconnected understanding of purpose provides something greater, and I feel that here at Microsoft. Our mission, and you can ask any employee this and they'll be able to tell you what that is because we live and breathe it, is to empower every person in every organisation to achieve more. Ask anyone in the organisation, as I said, and they'd be able to tell you. And this awareness starts from that great CEO who lives and breathes this purpose in everything he does and therefore everything that we do. I could chat to you in depth about this for for a while, but I really just wanted to wrap up this little story with a comment from Satya. The key to unlocking, he says, a company's full potential comes down to the company's culture. Culture as being not what you work on, but how the company can work for you. A strong company culture happens when each employee is able to bring their personal passions and philosophies to work in a way that creates meaning for them. And I think that really resonates today with the conversation and the the conference that we're having. And I know that this really resonates with me deeply. But let's move on to the topic of my talk today. So I want to move on from uh, the, the theme of purpose to the element of threat. As mentioned, I'm coming to you from Melbourne, Australia. And back in September, we claimed the crown for one of the most, or for the most lockdown city in the world. Not really a title that we want to claim. We like to claim the most world's, world's most livable city. Remote working has been institutionalised for us here. I've been in the office a total of three times since February last year. One of the main things that I hear from people is the feelings of burnout that they've been facing here due to the intensity and the relentlessness of collaboration. So I'd like everybody to shut your eyes and imagine you're in a forest. Everything is in balance. You have the lovely tall trees standing strong and growing well. There are great networks through the ecosystem that have been established. The trees of the future are reaching for that light There is a great undergrowth happening to protect the soil from erosion and all up, it's a great place to be, both if you're a tree, an animal or a human. I would love to head up to the high country right now and go for some long walks in nature. Now imagine it gets cold. An unusually strong storm hits that forest. The floods wash away the undergrowth and the strong winds blow seeds from an invasive weed. At first, the forest adapts. The weeds are accepted into the ecosystem. They are plants. But then they start to dominate. They start to create problems for the health of those fabulous trees, becoming so dense that other things don't flourish. Things get out of balance. Wrong things are starting to flourish. They become a threat to the health, well-being and productivity of the forest. It all happened without us really being aware. It was 
was a plant like the rest of the forest, part of the ecosystem, but now it was snaking up the trees, dominating the undergrowth and doing so much more harm than good. You can open your eyes now and, and, uh, and uh, listen to the rest of the talk. But if we apply this thinking to one of the biggest impacts, right, and that is of the pandemic, I would relate this directly to our meeting culture as one example. I'm pretty sure that if I asked everyone who's listening here today that if they are having more meetings now than they were then, the answer I reckon would be a resounding yes. At the start of the pandemic, this was okay. Again, like the forest, we adapted. We put in more meetings to stay connected. These meetings became recurring meetings, often without a clear agenda. Meetings were longer and we started them late and we had meetings that went for 60 minutes and, and so forth. But before we knew it, we accommodated what was happening without realising the long-term impact. One of the ways we started hearing about the impact uh, was through anecdotal stories and through the responses in employee surveys. In those employee surveys, we asked people to stop their work and added to their day by asking them to complete survey after survey to find out what was happening in the organisation to get a pulse. We needed this data to be able to help our employees to make sure that they had the best environments to thrive. But what if I told you that there was data that we could access to help with this, to augment this? Data that you didn't need to ask your employees to stop doing that valuable, high value work to provide this insight. Data that would help you identify those flourishing, unbalanced behaviours and help you to make objective insights-based decisions in order to bring back that balance. To move away from the drain of moving from one meeting to another, to another, to another, to start creating that thriving culture for productivity again and that full-blooming forest that we started with. So I hear you asking, interested, but how does it work? So as we create uh, and uh, as we work and send emails, have meetings and chat in teams, we create signals. Digital footprints that we create as we work. Now, if you take those signals at an aggregate metadata level, so metadata meaning uh, the time we send the emails or recipients we're sending it to in the subject line, and provide some additional colour through organisational data such as location or role level or manager or independent contributor, for example, you can start to get a picture of the collaboration patterns across the organisation. And when you do that, you can start to make informed decisions. I must stop and stress a point here. This is not about creating a big brother approach. This is not looking at individuals and signalling them out. This is about understanding those patterns across an organisation at an aggregate level, looking across the forest and identifying where the weeds are strangling, the trees, in which grove, in which area. So let's go back to that meeting example. Not all meetings are bad. We need meetings to get work done. We need meetings to connect. But if we don't look at our meetings, our meeting culture in organisations, before you know it, your calendar will be filled with double bookings, recurring meetings, meetings that have invite the whole world approach to an attendee list, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, on top of that, let's include all those social meetings that are replacing those water cooler moments for those who aren't back at the office. Now, I'm pretty much feeling those nods coming through at the screen to me here. So the best way to make a change 
around meeting culture is going to be through data. If we know what recurring meetings are a problem across the organisation, we can do a review. If we can understand what parts of the business have recurring meetings and perhaps combine that with data that shows multitasking during meetings, this is going to be really powerful for information to help change that meeting culture. You could then take that data to leaders and arm them with information to make change happen. Perhaps do a review of all the recurring meetings in your calendar. Do you need them to happen? Could they be shorter? Do they need to have everybody that's on the list there? Do you have an agenda in order to make it an effective and constructive meeting? Anecdotal stories don't work just alone. An example of this actually is here with our leadership, senior leadership here in the region. The team were discussing one-on-one -on -one manager uh, meeting culture and how important it was to have those meetings happen to support our employees and provide them uh, with the support they needed as we were starting to ramp up into the pandemic and starting to hear these anecdotal stories. Everybody in the room agreed one-on-one -on -one meetings were the way to go. We're doing it. No problem. We don't really need to talk about this. What's next? Now, as I mentioned, this is all based off anecdotal evidence. Now, our transformation lead here uh, in, in the region popped up a slide, and that, show slide, that slide showed data. Let's just say a few people in the room decided that they needed to go off and uh, make a bit of a change. Another area to consider in meeting culture is the value and importance of big blocks of time where you can work in uninterrupted. There are plenty of statistics out there that show you how much time it takes to get back into the flow of work and the flow of thinking when you're distracted. Again, using data, you can start to understand what areas the business have time to do this. An example here at Microsoft was when we got data from our surveys saying that the engineering team didn't have the time they wanted to really get in and get their work done. They felt like they were always in internal meetings. So when we did an analysis of their calendar, we found that it was super fragmented, meetings all over the place and not allowing enough time to get into that flow of work. And that was full of recurring meetings and internal meetings all over the place. The management team reviewed those recurring meetings and also decided to create some boundaries and set blocks of time when those internal meetings could actually be scheduled. This allowed the calendars of the engineers to suddenly have these big blocks of time where they could control and they could block out the world and just spend time with their code, be in their happy place. A customer here in Australia has created a culture of meeting-free Mondays. They found through the data that their employees were starting to work, starting their work for uh, the week on a Sunday. Again, I'm feeling those nods and hands going up saying, you know, I hear you, I know what you feel. So what they did is they wanted to give space to their teams to come into the office at a normal hour and prepare for their week on a work day. Continuously listening to the data helps them to understand what levers might need to be pulled across the organisation as people might slip back into the old behaviours. So it's important to use data um, in this kind of uh, virtuous cycle like we see in nature. So as you can see from the examples so far, we need to be able to understand which are the plants that are creating the problem, which are the behaviours that are a threat to us as employees and our wellness and our health and wellbeing and our productivity. When we do that, we can be targeted about our approach. As any good change manager here on the call um, listening, 
is a tailored approach to change using data to support that change will be so much more effective than a blanket generic approach across the organization. And this is what Microsoft is doing uh, here and helping other organizations to do. Target that threat, drive change programs informed by insights. Cut back on the behaviours that are threatening that good experience and good culture and allow the light to shine down on activities that you need for the culture to thrive, just like that forest. For those of you who are more financially driven, have you stopped to think about the cost of all that time that you're spending in low-quality meetings? One of our customers used the data to rank the cost of recurring meetings that were happening across their part of the organisation where this was a big problem. Note, again, it wasn't across the whole organisation at this point. They had anecdotal evidence to, to suggest that this was a problem in this particular area. They wanted to target that part of the organisation that was under threat. The sponsor for the analysis called out uh, uh, during the review that uh, that recurring meeting that was sitting at the top of the list was costing the company $500,000 a year in salary, always started late and had no agenda. Armed with that information, they started empowering employees to be able to decline meetings that didn't have a set agenda, encouraged meeting facilitators to review recurring meetings and all their attendees. All of this freeing up time to go back to their high value work if they didn't need to be on these meetings. So with the last few minutes, I've wanted, I just want to share uh, some thoughts with you to take away. Take a look at the meetings you own. Do they have an agenda? Can you make that meeting 45 minutes instead of 60? You know that the meeting will take the length of time that it's given, right? So if you make an hour for a meeting, a meeting will take an hour. I've done one thing and I've gone into my settings in Outlook and I've changed all my calendar inv invitations to a default of 45 minutes and 20 minute meetings. And I'm making sure that everybody knows this at the start of the meeting. It's clear, this is a 45 minute meeting, we're going to take that time. And if we do, tend, if we do look like we're going over, I'll ask permission to take that extra time and allow people to drop off that meeting because I want them to be able to go and have a quick break, have a stretch, go walk around their forest uh, to, to uh, get ready for the next meeting. So thinking about, are you meeting? Uh, are you ending that meeting on time and being respectful to others? If you haven't found it already, go into the Teams app and set up the Insights app. You might know this as My Analytics, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's called Insights within the Teams environment. There's all sorts of goodness there about your own personal behaviours. I found out the other week I impacted 67 people by not finishing my meeting early that has made me reassess my behaviour a little bit more. And it's all about these data points to nudge those behavioural changes. The, the last thing I would say is create some time for focus in your diary. Every day I have a block of two hours each day where I don't get any pings and I try to get into the flow of work. It's awesome. And when I'm booking meetings, I try to respect my colleagues' need for that block of time. So if I'm able to see that that's a focused time, I won't book meetings just to, because that's the only slot that's available. A McKinsey study, A Better Way to Lead Large-Scale Change, released back at the end of 2019, showed that organisations who understood collaboration and how people work together to achieve business outcomes led that to have a three times increase in shareholder returns on those that didn't. 
This shows the importance of data and how it is important to tend that forest and keep those threats to a minimum. The Viva Personal Insights, the private view of my own data, helps me to tend my own tree and make sure it's healthy. The Viva Manager Insights will help me to manage my own little grove of trees, making sure that each tree has what it needs to thrive. And the Viva Organisational Insights will help me make sure that my whole ecosystem is achieving its full flourishing potential glory. So if you want to find out more about Beaver Insights and the customer stories we have or more about Microsoft and how we use informed decisions from how our sales team connect with customers to understand how silos are being created, I didn't even get into any organisational network analysis in detail today, to improving meeting culture or finding out about the collaboration behaviours of a good leader and what it looks like, go check out Beaver Insights capability and start nurturing your own forest. Thanks for your time. Back to the studio. Thank you, Carly. If you tuned in late, that was Carly Scott Murphy of Microsoft in Melbourne, Australia, using very well the metaphor of the forest. So, Paul Shimri, there are so many interesting things to unpack in her talk there. I loved it. And she really came back and back to that metaphor of the forest, which I thought was really interesting. What came up for you guys, Paul? Well, partly that she's not been in the office for more than three times in 19 months. Um, and what that's like trying to maintain that sense of purpose, her deep connection to the company um, I think that's kind of remarkable, really. How about you, Shimri? I think one of the things was just the power of the story that she used, the visualisation around the forest and how taking that approach can help bring new life to something we're all familiar with, the idea of burnout and meeting culture, but to really tell that story in terms of overgrowing weeds within a forest helps you connect with how that feels and, and visualize it in a completely different way um so that was really powerful for you me. can immediately see it can't you yeah and i also love the way that she talks about purpose and mission and i think that identifies too with her story of forest the idea that plants have a purpose and mission which is to obviously to grow and to keep growing and to mm. keep you know, and as, as a consequence, they maintain that super healthy habitat for us all. I, I feel like that came up so well. Um, and the idea that she wants, as a consequence of that, to be in Microsoft for her whole career. I don't remember the last time I ever heard anybody say something like that. No, it's, it's kind of remarkable. And I wonder whether it speaks of a deeper change that's, that's happening you know, we're, we're looking at the moment, aren't we, at this whole great resignation, as it's been called, people leaving work in unprecedented numbers. And, you know, we'll probably get into it later on, but that some of the, st the statistics around that are incredible. On the other hand, Carly's saying, I'm here, and from my point of view, she's a, a young woman, uh, and she wants to spend the rest of her life at Microsoft. Because of its purpose, what she sees with... Satya Nadella and what he's done there. It's, it is amazing. Purpose and meaning is is really important to 
more and more of us now in our work. Do you think that's something that the book is is tapping into, Shimri? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we we deliberately put purpose as the first element for a reason because it's from that that everything else then flows. We need, we feel deeply that we want in our lives to have meaning and to know why we're doing something and to have that purpose. And we're seeing it more and more within organisations. We have things like the Purpose Index emerging that show to what extent are people connecting with the purpose of a brand. And it's it's definitely something that we're seeing emerge as something that people feel deeply about. And one of the other things that I felt came up, and again, it still works with the metaphor of the forest, was the idea of adaptation. In, I mean, we've all had to adapt more than we ever thought possible in the last yeah. year. And so that theme will come up again, but it was really interesting to see it in, in this context. Yeah, and I think that's, in a way, one of the things that's rewarding, certainly to me, is to see that nature is not just a metaphor for work, but it also is almost like a guidebook. If you look at the way forests regenerate, the way they adapt, the way they respond, you you then start to think of your own organisation. How do we deal with habitat in the workplace, for example, when we think of return to work or hybrid working. I think it's uh, it's really interesting from that point of view and, and kind of surprising to me. I don't think we really knew that when we wrote the book that that that, that story would come out like that. And I had a sense of the way that they're analysing data mm-hmm. uh, and, and checking in on behaviours ab- about the meetings, you know, short, long, uh, how uh, big those meetings were, how small they were almost like the leaves moving on a tree just to catch the light and fill a space as it does mm. in the forest. So the the scale of things was really interesting here. Yeah, and I, I think that one of the interesting aspects, and, and Carly pointed it to with data, the analytics, um, is that actually that's intelligence. So that's informing you, informing the organisation about how things happen, for example, in meetings. And I think you know, the idea of organisations as being alive could seem almost like a return to an ag- agricultural or agrarian time. Mm-hmm. It actually isn't. It's really a kind of imagination that brings nature and technology, in my mind, together. And I think technology really does have a role to help us in, in this, as applied to, to meeting culture, for example, from Carly. How, Shamri, how, my thought about that is when you're using data in such a way to analyse the messages, the meetings, then does it stop being organic, which is what we all seem to want to lean towards, but does it stop that when you're being so analytical, do you think? I think Paul's um, point about intelligence is key here because we, we, in the book we talk about intelligence and how nature is infused with it. But I think as humans, we're often blind to that a little bit. We, we assume intelligence is, exists within machines or just within ourselves. But I think just because you're focusing on data, just because you're focusing on trying to analyse what's going on, it doesn't mean you're stepping necessarily away from the organic. It just means in the same way as we seek to understand ecosystems, biodiversity, you need that information to help you understand what's happening organically to then be able to nudge it in the right direction if needed um, and to get that feedback, to have that feedback loop. So 
they don't exist separate from each other. Just because you're seeking intelligence, it doesn't mean you're going down a mechanistic route. So cool. And we've really only just started. Thanks, guys. I really admire Carly. She walks the talk. I love that at the start, she describes her appearance for those with accessibility needs and also pays respect to the indigenous people of Victoria, Australia, where she lives. So here are my three seeds for you to plant based on what Carly shared and what we discussed back in the studio. The first one is treat your meeting culture and practice like a forest that can be in balance, but also can be overtaken by aggressive weeds. Review the duration, aim and attendees of all the meetings to bring them into a healthy state, like a forest undergrowth that is rich, diverse and uses nutrients efficiently. And make the 30 or 60 minute meeting default 20 minutes or 45 minutes as standard. The second seed to plant is that your culture is less about the company and more about how the company supports you or hinders you. And that reveals the culture of your company. You can see and feel the culture and make changes based on that experience. The third seed is that AI and metadata and digital trails are really useful. They provide the measures and they can inform the changes made by leadership based on evidence. So use the important power and role of technology to make those changes. Next time, we're joined by Tony Van Winkle, Vice President of Digital Workplace Experience at Adobe. So do subscribe and like right here so you get alerted about each new episode. See you next time.